My name is Matt, and I'm the campus minister here at Aggies for Christ. And I don't believe that you're here on accident tonight. I really, really don't. I believe that you're here for a reason, no matter what walk of life that you're in tonight. And I want to promise you, no matter where you're at in your faith journey, the message that's going to be preached from this stage, week in and week out, is one of hope. Hope that God is who he says he is. Hope that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. And hope that he has a plan for your life in the midst of it all. So first of all, tonight, I want to tell you exactly what AFC is. I want to tell you what this community is about. This is a group of people that wants to create a space week in and week out where God can come in and change lives. We preach the Bible. We have great retreats. We have great events and dinners and small groups, and we have a lot of fun stuff that goes on. But more than anything, we just want to create an environment or a couple environments a week where God can come in and change a life. Maybe that's your life, and maybe that's tonight. Or maybe not. Maybe you're just trying out all this Christianity stuff and you don't give a lick who Jesus is and you're just in here hanging out. That's fine. You're welcome here too. We're a community, but we're not an exclusive community. So wherever you're at in your faith or wherever you're at in your deciding if you even have a faith, you're welcome. You're welcome here, and I hope you feel like family. Secondly, I'd like to introduce myself. Like I said, my name is Matt, and six years ago, I was sitting in the very same chair that you were sitting in. I was here for college, just like most of you were, and, uh, and you know, I didn't have this great desire to be a pastor the whole time I was growing up. I was a college student, I was a business major, and I was looking for purpose. I was looking for passion. I was looking for a direction in my life. And that's what I found in this place. God used this ministry. God used this church and the people in this place to absolutely shake up my world. And now I have this really great job of uh, getting to be a dealer of hope. Week in and week out, I get to share the hope of what the person of Jesus was in my life. So that's what I'm going to try to do tonight. I'm going to try to sling around some hope. I'm going to see if anything sticks. And that's the plan for the semester. Another big piece about myself, you can pull up the slideshow there, Eric. Okay, that's our title slide. Another big piece about myself that y'all need to know is that this summer, you can go to the next slide, I got married. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you very much. I'm going to assume that applause is because you're uh, happy for me that I got with somebody that is 100% out of my league. I mean, just look at her. She's a complete smoke show, but she is, uh, she is uh, way prettier on the inside than she is on the outside. And so that is Tessa Ann Shock now, and she's my wife, and she's going to be helping out a lot with the ministry this semester. I see God so clearly in marriage already. I see him so clearly. And I'll tell you bits and pieces about that this semester, but tonight I'm not talking about relationships. You can go to the next slide. Tonight I'm not talking about um, religion or denomination. Tonight I'm going to preach hope. And I believe that hope comes in the person of Jesus. And so tonight we're going to create a space for him, and we're going to see if that can stick with anybody here tonight. If anybody's looking for hope, anybody's looking for something to believe in, that's what we're going to do tonight. So before we get too much further, I would like you guys to pray with me and for me. And if y'all can lift up that buzzing sound, that'd be great. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you, and we're thankful to be in this space tonight, God, because... Um, That campus across the street and um, this world that we're living in, it tells us that you're not that important anymore. But God, we know it's not true. We're looking for something tonight and we're looking for you to show up in a big way and we're expecting of you to do that. So 
So God, tonight, I don't want to talk about you. I don't want to preach about you like you're not right here in the room with us. And, and, and so I, I welcome your Holy Spirit in this place. I pray that the message will fall on, on soft, open hearts. And anything that you don't want to be heard tonight, that it will fall flat to the floor. God, most of all, we're thankful for your son, Jesus. We're thankful for what he did on the cross. And it's in his name I pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Tonight, we are going to be in the Gospel of John, verses 2 through 12. If you have your Bibles with you, you can go there now. If you don't, don't worry. We put it all on the screen. It's the same words. And if you don't have a Bible, this is a church. we got them laying around everywhere. We'd love to give you one for free before you leave tonight. So if you guys would read with me, this is John chapter 8, verses 2 through 12. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught, to, and he taught them. This is Jesus we're talking about. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, we're commanded um, to stone such a woman. So, so what do you say, Jesus? They said this to test him, that, that, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger in the ground. And as they continued to ask them, or ask him, he stood up and he said to him, Let him who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, Then neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now the next time we hear Jesus talk in the Gospel of John, he says this. Verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In the summer of 1962, the United States was reeling. There was a bunch of stuff going on, but the most, the most important and, and kind of daunting thing that was going on was the Cold War. Now, what the Cold War was, for all of you who aren't history majors, it was this, it was this political and this social tension between, Russia, between the Soviet Union and the United States, the East versus the West. Now, it never became a full-fledged, bloody war, but it could have been the worst war that ever struck the face of the earth, and that's because nuclear weapons were involved. And so not only were we, did we have these political tensions, but, but as a group of people, we were scared. We were scared for our lives. I mean, it's nukes. Secondly, we were losing the space race. Now, it does, might not mean that much to us now, but at the time, it was a very big deal. And what I mean by that is the Soviets had just launched the first satellite into space that stayed up there. It was called Sputnik. You might have heard of it. And then secondly, they were the first country to put a man into space and to have him come back down safely. Now, that one, now, like I said, it's not that big a deal for us anymore, but at the time, everybody had this conception that space was going to be this place where, where it needed to be governed, where that's where nuclear warheads were going to come from. So we needed, to, we needed to control that area, too. Long story short, for our country, there was fear in those days. There was fear, and the country really didn't have much hope. These were the days that the wealthy were building bomb shelters in their homes. And not only were we feeling inferior, which is a very anti-American feeling, right? I mean, we just watched the Rio Olympics. We won 5,000 gold medals. It was great. But we were feeling inferior, but we were also scared for our lives. 
It was a case where not only was the bully bigger and stronger, but he was smarter too. And hope was in short supply. And so enter the story, our hero, the newly elected John F. Kennedy and the hope that he brought with him. JFK gave a speech to Congress in the summer of June 1962, which is referred to now as the moonshot speech or the moon speech. The moonshot speech was this, was this, uh, this plead with Congress, the plead with the nation's decision makers where JFK says, look guys, we need to get to space. We need to put a man on the moon. And not only that, we need to be the first group to get there. We need to be the first group to get there. Now he promised Congress it was gonna be expensive. And he promised Congress that it was going to take sacrifice, but he also promised Congress that it was worth it. Not only because we needed to be gov- not only because he thought space was a place that we could be governed and it needed to be governed by a free people, but he thought that, that it would instill hope in the country. And so he pushed it and he pushed it and he pushed this moonshot. A couple months later in September of that year, JFK gets in front of a crowd of 40,000 at Rice University. And that's when he proclaims this plan to the nation. And he says, we're going to be the first to put a man on the moon before the 1960s are over. And we had hope. We believed that that's what we needed to do. More so than space being important, it was the hope that our country needed. And we found it that summer when when JFK was, was, uh, was trying to deliver the moonshot. All that being said, so we read this story in the Bible about this woman who's caught in adultery, and actually there's some correlations here. This feeling of hopelessness that this woman has is very similar to the hopelessness that the, that the U.S. had in the early 60s. Here's a woman who was literally caught in the act of adultery, and according to the laws of those, those days, the punishment was not only death, but death by stoning. And so I, I, I paint this picture in my head of these, of these old men walking around with, with stones, and they drag this, this woman into the temple courts, and she is, she's half-dressed, and she's embarrassed, and she's crying, and she's laying on the ground despondent. And we know that it's early in the morning because the text says so. So she had just got done getting caught. The embarrassment of what she had just done and the, and, and, and the freshness of the whole situation. And she knew she was guilty, and she knew the law, and she knew the punishment. So she knew she was not only about to die, but she knew that she was about to die a slow and painful death. She was hopeless. She was hopeless. So into the scene, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders, the enforcers of the law, and they bring Jesus to her, not only to kill her, but to trap Jesus. The Pharisees are saying, let's see if this guy, Jesus, let's see if this guy can get out of this. Let's see if he thinks he's above the law. How he handles, let's see how he handles this whore first, and then we're going to see how he handles the interpretation of the law and see if we can't trip him up. I mean, these guys have two agendas. One, this girl's going to die, and two, we're going to trip up this man, Jesus, who we hate. And they hated Jesus because they thought Judaism was going by the wayside. They thought Jesus was there to destroy Judaism. So they had two different agendas. Now going back to the woman for a second, the embarrassment grows. She's dragged in front of Jesus' Sunday school class, for, for, for lack of a better term. And so, so it's, she's like, great, here's this, here's, this, um, here's this great leader who everybody's talking about. And I get drugged in front of him and all these people to be not only killed, but embarrassed in the process. Regardless of the sin that she committed, I think 2,000 years later, our heart can still kind of break for that woman. So the Pharisees look at Jesus and he says, all right, 
So what are you going to do, Jesus? What's the plan? How do you interpret this law? The leaders or the religious leaders are waiting for an answer. Surely the woman, if she can even bear to pick up her head, she's interested in what Jesus is going to say. And how does our hero respond? Does he give a rousing speech, speech like JFK? Does he, does he call his disciples to huddle around her and protect her as a human barrier? Or call down angels? I mean, he's the son of God. He can do that, right? Call down angels. No, he doesn't do any of that. Instead, what Jesus does is he bends over and he starts drawing in the sand. It doesn't say what he drew, but he starts drawing in the sand. Now, when you're reading your Bible, you do one of two things. One, you skip over this because we just don't understand what that means. Or two, we're like, yeah, that's weird. And then we skip over it again because we just, we just don't understand. But let me tell you tonight why I think what his response was is so important for our lives today in 2016. Why bending over and drawing in the sand was so important. And it's because of this. Think about the scene that's about to happen. It's madness. It's crazy. It's loud. It's about to get gory. It's embarrassing. She's crying. The men are yelling. It's out of control. And how does Jesus respond? He's not flustered at all by the situation. So he bends over and he draws in the sand almost to say, it's all right. Now, why do we draw hope from this? Because it's the welcome week of the semester. Things are crazy. There's 50 million people handing you flyers and telling you to rush here and come to AFC then and, and to drink sweet tea here and to do, I mean, it's crazy. Or you got broken relationships and it feels crazy. Or you got drama back home and it, and it feels crazy and there's just all this hecticness going around and you think there's no answer for it. But Jesus bent over and he drew in the sand because he was not flustered by what was going around. Go to the next slide. Jesus is not flustered by the state of the world globally or individually in your life. And that should encourage you. That should give you hope. Because we have enough political and social figures that, that want to respond with, with confrontation. Look at the election right now. It's anger. And it's fear. That's all it is on both sides. Turn on the TV, any social figure, it's aggressive, it's confrontational. But what Jesus does is he bends over and he draws in the sand. It's different, it's countercultural, but we should draw hope from that. We should draw hope from a Savior, from a God who is not rattled by what's going on in our life. And then Jesus responds, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. Let him who is without sin throw the first stone. Period, done, mic drop. But instead of exiting stage left, what does Jesus do? Again, he bends over and he starts drawing in the sand. He just said this super controversial thing at this super controversial time. Maybe it's time to get his dukes up, but instead, he's down, and he's drawing in the sand. Now, this next part is, now this next part is not in Scripture, but you have, to, you have to imagine those Pharisees weren't going to take the stones home with them, right? And so one by one, starting with the oldest, the stones start to drop. 
And with every stone that drops, that woman's head picks up a little bit more. The men begin to leave until it's just Jesus and the woman left. And there's some hope. You know, when I was at the coffee shop a few weeks ago, I was thinking, I was sitting down to write this, and I was, I was struggling. I didn't know what I was going to talk about yet. I knew I wanted to talk about hope. I knew this sermon was important. It's the first one. It's usually our biggest crowd. I wanted to not only set the tone for this semester, but for the rest of your lives. If we could do that with one sermon, that was the goal. And so I knew that this was important, but I was struggling. I sat there for a good hour. And then I had this, this nudge in my head, and it wasn't a voice because I've never heard a voice from God myself, but it was more like a, like a nudge or an idea, and the thought came was this. This is, Matt, where do you draw hope from in regards to myself? Where do you find hope in me? So I turned right to this passage in the Bible, one of my favorite in all of Scripture. And it's because despite everything that I've done, despite everything I'm doing right now, and despite everything I'm still going to do, the stones keep dropping, and it's just me, and it's just Jesus. And the same goes for you. It's just you, and it's just Jesus. And in the woman's case in the story, it was just her, and it was just Jesus. And Jesus asked the woman, where'd they go? Who condemns you? Guys, wow, that is amazing. Who condemns you? I don't want you to raise your hands right now because mostly because I don't want to get discouraged, but who here in here has been hurt by the church? Who in here has felt judgment from a church or from a group of friends because of hypocrisy and, and, and judgment and not understanding the situation? It's happened in this room, right? We felt that. But here's Jesus, here's our hero who has stepped into the scene and he's drawing in the sand and when he's done drawing, he gets up and he tells us, he says, you're fine, you're redeemed, I don't condemn you. And he draws in the sand. Now he does go on to say, now, and we would be very wise to listen to this next part, he, he begs the woman, now go and don't live this life of sin anymore. And we need to remember that because that is a very important part of the story. But he says, go and live a life of sin no more. You guys, this is the gospel. This is the good news. When church people tell you they want to share the gospel with you or when you hear whatever the gospel is, the gospel is this story. The gospel is we were hopeless, we were destined to die a slow and painful death, and in comes this Savior drawing in the sand and telling the men to drop the stones. And the stones fall one by one. And that is the gospel. We needed that moonshot. We needed that hope. We needed that gospel. In the time since I've uh, been in college and left college, I've seen two main types of hopelessness in this world. Um, I've spent a couple of summers in Honduras doing um, some work with the church there. And in Honduras, it's one of the poor, poorest countries in the world, one of the highest crime rates in the world. There you see widows who don't have roofs for their babies' heads. You see orphans who have never met their parents. You see, um, you, you see other little kids who have to walk without shoes, miles, with their water jugs to get, to get water. This is three hours, a three-hour plane ride from here away. 
I've seen hopelessness where people don't even know how they're getting till tomorrow. We've seen that. A lot of you in this room have been with AFC before. You've seen that. But I've also seen a second kind of hopelessness. I've seen college students who had everything, money in their pockets, a nice car in the parking lot, unlimited partners in their bed, education, health, and hopelessness in their eyes. See, it's early in the semester. It's early in the semester, so we might be feeling good tonight. We might be like, no, I have hope. I have hope for this semester. It's going to be good. It's going to be fine. We're riding this high, and that's fine for tonight. But you've got to take it from me. That might not mean anything to you yet, but I'm going to tell you anyways. I've been in situations where I've had a lot more in my pocket and a lot less Jesus. And I've been in a situation right now where there's a lot less in my pocket, but there's a whole lot of Jesus in here. And let me tell you what fills my bones with passion and with purpose and with hope. It's the latter. It's the latter. And like I said, maybe tonight you're fine. Maybe for tonight you're fine. And you don't need the moonshot of all moonshots that is the gospel. But I promise you, you will. One day, you will. So I, um, I said I wasn't going to talk about my wife tonight, but um, I got a perfect story to tell, and I get bonus husband points when I use her in a sermon. So, um, so I'm going to tell, tell a quick story. Louder, apparently. When, uh, when me and Tessa were starting to hang out a lot, we were, um, I, I, had tried to, I had tried to talk to her a couple times, and I got shot down a couple times. It was just... Um, it was just not my luck right away, but I stayed around her. I, I stayed very close to her. Whatever she was doing, whatever group of friends she was with, I was close to that situation, right? And before I was a campus minister here, I used to do, I used to help a lot with AFC. I used to help a lot just doing volunteer stuff. And so I would tell her that I needed help doing a project. Um, the project I needed help with in this particular story was moving, we were moving a bunch of wood pallets um, to, to have a bonfire. Um, she's five foot two and she's barely over 100 pounds. I did not need her help <laughs> to move pallets, but I told her I did. And so she, um, so she helps me move all these wood pallets and we throw them on the bonfire pile and um, we drive right back out to this parking lot right here. I can tell you the exact space that we were in. And uh, she's about to get out of my truck and I, and I turn and I look at her and I say, hey, there's, there's one more thing I want to talk about tonight. And she kind of she looks at me so scared. So... Um, so I, so I jump right in and I say, uh, I say, hey, do I have any hope? And you can ask her. This is a 100% true story. This is not just because my sermon's on hope. I promise you those were the exact words. Do I have any hope? And again, the scared look. And so I jumped right back in. I said, look, I'm not trying to make it Facebook official tonight. I, I, don't, I don't need it Facebook official. Um, I, I, I don't need you to go on a date with me tonight. I don't need, I don't need any of the, the fluff that comes with relationships. I just need to know if I have hope. And three of the longest seconds later, I guess she was playing with me or something, but she smiles over and she says, yeah, you have hope. You have hope. Three, uh, three weeks later, no, 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 sorry. Three months later, we were Facebook official. A year after that, we were engaged, and six months after that, we were married. And it was because I needed something that was fundamental to the human condition to keep going, to keep pursuing her, and that was hope. 
and that was hope. For her, that was my moonshot, and it was worth every gut-wrenching day in waiting for her. And so maybe tonight, maybe tonight that's you. Maybe you're not ready to make it Facebook official with Jesus, and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Maybe you're feeling okay tonight, and, and it's just too early in the semester to need, to need hope. Or maybe you're in the room and you really need something tonight. Maybe you're in the room and you really need something to believe in to keep you going. Maybe you're an upperclassman, you tried to do the first couple years of college without Jesus, and it was hard. Maybe you're a freshman in the room and you didn't, you didn't stay near to the church your, uh, your last couple years of high school, and it was hard. Maybe you're a young professional in the room and it's time to start a business or a new career, and, and you just need something bigger to get you up in the morning, something bigger to believe in. That's the thing about the person of Jesus. No matter where you're at in life, from a senior in high school to a young professional to a, to a man on his deathbed, the person of Jesus offers hope. And everybody needs that. It makes sense for all situations. So our last slide tonight looks like this. Our hope and our moonshot is this. Jesus is not flustered by the craziness of this life. Not on a world stage with political and international tensions, but also not in your and my mess of a life. He's not flustered by it at all. Secondly, he does not condemn you. He is actively, day in and day out, standing up for you, and those stones continue to fall. And lastly, he gives us purpose and hope. And that hope comes in that last verse that we read tonight. The next time Jesus opens his mouth in the Gospel of John, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So who needs that light tonight? Who needs that hope? Who needs something to believe in? Will you all pray with me? Dear Jesus, you are my moonshot. You were what I needed more than, more than I knew. At a time when I needed hope, you were that, you were what filled the gap. And tonight, Lord, I'm praying over this place right now that the people that need hope in this place would find you. And the people that don't know they need hope yet would find you. And God, that you would move in mighty, mighty ways over this, this crowd tonight. These college students who need something bigger to get them up in the morning. God, we, we love you and we, we're thankful that you, feel, that you fill that role in our lives. And most of all, we're thankful for Jesus and we're thankful for that sacrifice that he made on the cross. It's in his name I pray. Amen. If you need to pray with somebody in the back, myself and the staff, they have lanyards on. They'll be back there. My wife will be back there as well.